0: The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. I bet you get 30, 30, bet you get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 upfront for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dan Snow's History. What a day it is today. March the 25th, 2021. Marks the 200th anniversary of the raising of the banner that marked the beginning of the Greek War of Independence. It was a war for Greek freedom, from the Ottoman Empire, which covered much of North Africa, the Middle East, and Southeast Europe. But it's also a globally significant war, because it's one of the first examples of a people fired up with new nationalist sentiment, rising up against big transnational empires. The kind of sentiment that would eventually see the destruction of so many of the huge continental empires within 100, 150 years of this Greek uprising. Various members of the Greek diaspora and various classicists abroad championed the Greek cause around the world, and eventually the great powers would intervene to help Greece secure her independence. Some volunteers, like Lord Byron, flocked to join the Greeks, fired up by messages appealing for help from the Greeks, like this one sent to America. I love this one. Sent to America in November 1821. To the citizens of the United States, it is your land that liberty has fixed her abode, so you will not assuredly imitate the culpable indifference or rather the long ingratitude of the Europeans. I love that. Um, The war would go on for years, but March the 25th marks the anniversary of its beginning. So I thought I'd get the wonderful Pascalis Kitromedilis on to talk about the war, its significance within Greece and the wider world. And as he points out in this podcast, the shockwaves sent out by the Greek revolution are still being felt right through the Balkans and Eastern Europe. This was a podcast recommended by one of our listeners, so thank you very much for alerting us to this anniversary. It is a super important one that we otherwise might have let slip. Uh, Everyone else, please let us know on social media or via the website com if you'd like us to to cover an exciting story. If you want to watch documentaries as well as listen to these podcasts, you can do so at historyhit.tv. don't think we have any Greek revolutionary history on there. We've got a lot of Greek history stretching way back. Yep, we do. So head over there. And check out historyhit.tv, whether you're into the Stone Age or the Nuclear Age. We got it all. In the meantime, everyone, enjoy this podcast on the Greek War of Independence. Pascalis, thank you very much for coming on the show.
2: Thank you, Dan. Thank you for inviting
1: me. Um, It's a big anniversary, this. It's It's a big moment. How long before independence do we need to think of this campaign, this, this, this war, really, that eventually led to Greek freedom?
2: Well, you know, you can take a really very long-term view and make it the whole of the 18th century, the period of intellectual change, gradual secularization of thought and values and so forth, but with much higher pace from the 1770s following the Raso-Turkish war of 1768-1774, uh, There is really a discernible movement whereby some Greeks gradually begin to think about their future in terms of an independent state. So, this is gradually maturing. In the 1770s, there were hopes that uh, the Russians may sponsor such a state in territories to be liberated uh, following a war with the Ottomans. But then, Greek political thought picks up, and we have one author after another visualizing the future in terms of a modern state, rather than in terms of the earlier oracular tradition, which dreamt uh, of redemption from Ottoman rule in terms of a resurrection of the medieval empire, and so forth. After the 1770s, they begin thinking in terms of a future uh, nation-state, on the uh, models of what they think is happening in Western Europe. And, of course, what were major turning points were first the American Revolution and then much more uh, affirmatively the French Revolution. In the 1790s, things began to get much more clear and articulate as to what the future of Greeks and the Greek territories would look like.
1: It's it's very interesting, isn't it? Because th- these freedom struggles from big transnational imperial uh, entities, like big empires, it feels like this is a story in the late nineteenth, early twentieth centuries. Greece is very early on in getting this, and is, was was Greece early in developing a kind of modern nationalist identity, you know, the, around language and a, a, around autonomy? You know, what what was going on in Greece in in the eighteenth century?
2: This is what is happening, indeed. It is very slow and it is limited in its social basis in terms of who is beginning to think along those terms. But first, there is an idea that speaking Greek, you form part of a long continuum going back to the remotest antiquity. And this begins to introduce a sense of differentiation from the other Christian Orthodox groups and nationalities under Ottoman rule. Initially, all of them, they thought they were the same thing because they conceived themselves in terms of their religious identity. Gradually, with the introduction of language and the politicization of the sense of the future in terms of an independent state, you have a sense, a modern sense of nationality being introduced and gradually through education, working its way, downwards into larger social groups, producing a sense of a modern nation. So this is happening at an increasing pace. We can follow that in the sources. In decade after decade, you can see it registered in uh, the print culture that comes out and registers this, this thoughts, and what is very interesting is also a whole reorientation of the sense of historical time. And we have really, we have some milestones which can help us in a way, see the signposts of this change. In the year 1750, there is a Greek translation of an important uh, French uh, uh, historical work about ancient history, uh, Charles Roland, a very important uh, French author who had published earlier in the 18th century a work multi-volume work entitled "History of and Ancient History. It has volumes on Middle Eastern civilizations, uh, Egyptians, Persians, uh, Assyrians and so forth. But then it focuses on the Greeks and the Greeks translate that in the year 1750 and they begin using it as a textbook in schools. And this is telling people and children of these people who are speaking modern Greek that look, these people who lived in the same areas and spoke anciently are really related to us and they come to think of them as ancient ancestors and this really is a it's a very drastic change because they think of their lineage going back to a pagan ancient people different from the Jews the Jews think along an unbroken continuity in terms of religion the Greeks have gone through a radical break in the religion, in the religious identity, but then they discovered through cultural and linguistic ties this remote Greek antiquity, which makes them feel as different, separate uh, national community. All of this create, in a way, expectation that this national community eventually would claim its own national state. And the French example is very important when the French. Armies and agents of revolutionary France begin roaming Europe and spreading these ideas of the sovereignty of the nation versus the sovereignty of kings. This happened in Paris in the 1790s, and we have have a great testimony of that. A Greek author, the most important Greek author of the Enlightenment, Corail, is an eyewitness of the moment when the royal family in France is forced to move from Versailles to Paris to be close to their subjects. And they emerge from the courage which brought them, instead of being hailed by by Christ, vive le roi, long live the king, they are greeted by vive la nation. And at this moment, you see this transition, which is really world historical, from legitimacy residing in uh, dynasties, and monarchical government uh, by the grace of God, moving to the nation, to the collective community which understands itself in cultural and political terms. Well, the Greeks are picking up all of that and they are combining it with the sense that this foreign, this monarch, an absolute despot who rules over us, is not only an agent of uh, arbitrary rule, but it's also it doesn't belong to our nation, to our group, different religion, different language, different ethnic identity. So we have to get our own state, and this is really revolutionary. And in the 1790s, this is gradually taking shape and getting a revolutionary movement uh, moving,
1: and eventually it would sweep across the world over the next 200 years. No society would be free of it, and the Greeks were the Greeks were early into it, and I guess. That nationalism weakened the Ottoman Empire from the beginning um, because by the 1820s, Greece was no longer dealing with the great superpower that the Ottomans had once been. I mean, breaking away, was beating them in a war was now a reasonable
2: proposition, was it? Yes, yes. In the 1820s, things are very different in Europe than what they had been back in the period from 1789 to 1815. The period of the French Revolution. In 1814, 1815, the French Revolution was defeated and the Congress of Vienna brought back the old legitimate monarchs, the old sort of uh, legitimist uh, understanding of, of government uh, by putting back monarchs on their thrones and they imposed what they call restoration on Europe. And in this and, of course, they formed the Holy Alliance, uh, the three absolutist powers, uh, the Helps Empire, Austria, Prussia, and Russia, all ruled by absolutist monarchs. They formed the Holy Alliance. And with them, Britain and Restoration France formed the concept of Europe as a kind of supervising authority to make sure that the people remained quiet. And in the year 1820, There was the first outbreak, a revolution revolt in Naples. It was quelled, it was put down by Austrian forces. Then there was another rising in Turin, in northern Italy. That was also put down. And a couple of months later, there was another revolution in Greece. And that greatly displeased the powers, but they didn't manage to put that down and managed to live on for 10 years, securing eventually an independent state for the Greeks. So what has been written about the United States many years ago by a great American scientist, Martin Lipset, that the United States, when it became independent, was the first new nation. Uh, Lipset was responding to the idea of the new nations, which were emerging from the breakup of the colonial empires in the 1960s, British Empire, French Empire, and so forth. So people were speaking of new nations at the time. And Lipset said, but the first new nation, it was us, the United States. Now I say, but the second new nation after the United States were the Greeks who managed to get their sovereign state in the 1820s, the first such case in Europe after the imposition of the restoration. So this was very important example, which had far reaching implications for all nations around Europe, first for people in Italy, in Central Europe, and so forth, which were understanding themselves as distinct nationalities and wanted their own national states. And that's why there was so much appeal through the Philhellenic movement. Then to people who were looking forward for important reforms in their own countries, like people in Britain who were supporting the reform movement in in Britain, reform of the electoral system, the system of parliamentary representation, and so forth. And all of these, they become Philhellenists because through supporting the freedom of the liberation of the Greeks, they were also supporting liberal causes at at home. And the most important such confluence of ideals was the abolitionist movement in the United States. In the United States, there was important support an important Hellenic movement. And the same people who were supporting the independence of the Greeks, they were supporting the abolition of slavery in the southern states of the United States. Therefore, the Greek Revolution was functioning on all these different levels. And this ascribed to the claim of Greek independence kind of international significance that made it, one historian has recently put it, the most international of all revolutions.
1: You're listening to Dan Snow's History Hit. I've got Pascalis Kitromelidis on the podcast. We're talking about the anniversary of the start of the Greek War of Independence. More coming up after this.
3: Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: That's a nice way of putting it. It was very bloody within Greece and the Aegean world. How important was that international aspect? You know, I, I've been to the, the site of the Battle of Navarino, where the British and French fleets uh, destroyed a Turkish fleet. I mean, was that merely the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back? And was Greek resistance essential? Or did the outside powers... Uh, was this a kind of great power war as much as anything else?
2: Well, the great powers were drawn into it originally by their own antagonists. Once the revolution managed to survive and linger on, despite civil war among the Greeks, as it always happens in all revolutions, beginning with the English Revolution in the 17th century and the French Revolution in the 18th century, uh, revolutions bring civil conflicts. So there were civil conflicts in the Greek revolution, but still the revolution managed to survive. It was uh, spreading different parts of the Greek world, which is not very extensive territorially, but it is very complex territorially with mountainous regions, uh, islands, and so forth. So all of these areas were stirred up by revolution. And the Greeks managed to keep the revolution going. There is an island in the eastern Aegean, Samos, which is about one nautical mile from the coast of Asia Minor and the Turkish Armada was besieging uh, Samos, and they never managed for 10 years to lay foot on that island because the islanders resisted so well. So gradually, with the revolution managing to survive and keep going, the powers were drawn into it in the sense that the antagonists between themselves, especially between Russia, Britain, would dictate some kind of involvement so that what would come out of the revolution would not fall under the exclusive influence of one power or the other. And France was also drawn in, and the three powers concluded a treaty, finally, between themselves that they would try to bring pacification of Greece after seven years of fighting, which involved also a tremendous human cause. Many. Uh, humanitarian tragedies uh, were going on. So they send their fleets. The fleets uh, uh, arrive at the Navarino Bay, which is a natural port of great significance because totally protected. And it has all these associations with ancient history from Homer's times through the Peloponnesian War. And then this flare up of historical significance with the Battle of Navarino. And they were there monitoring the situation. And accidentally, they got into a naval battle and they annihilated the uh, Turco-Egyptian fleet. That sealed the prospect of the independence of Greece. The Egyptians' armies were forced to withdraw from the Peloponnese. But none of that would make sense if the revolution hadn't been kept alive. And although the Egyptian armies, uh, which had managed to put down the revolution on the island of Crete, They were roaming up and down the Peloponnese. There were points in the uh, Morea Peninsula which were not overrun by the, the Egyptians. And therefore, the revolution was going through phases of recovery every once in a while. And this made possible the eventual beginning of discussions as to the future of Greece. And at that point, it was Britain which finally insisted on an independent and sovereign state, not a form of autonomous principalities as the case had been with the Danubian principalities up in Romania, and as eventually the Serbs would get. Although the Serbs had revolted first, they began their revolution in 1804. They kept going at intervals. But eventually, in 1831, they got an autonomous principality, whereas the Greeks got a sovereign state. And that was very important. Not that that was either a significant politically or militarily independent state, but symbolically, it was very, very significant because it was telling people around Europe and around the world, those years people were revolting in South America also, that through revolution, through claiming modern liberty, Peoples, the nations could get their sovereign statehood. And this is what, in a way, made Greece the focus of so much attention in this uh, period. Well, it wouldn't be the last time the Balkans sucked in great
1: powers as the Ottoman Empire collapsed. And, and uh, within 100 years, obviously, the First World War would start in that neck of the woods. So, so, Greece is a very important trailblazer, as you say, for nations all over the world in terms of. the the national struggle against empire, but also just in in that region of the world.
2: It was very important because the other Christian nationalities in the Balkans, the Serbs, had already revolted. The uh, Romanians had revolted in 1821 and they tried to coordinate with the Greeks who actually had started the revolt in February 1821 up in Moldavia and Balachia. But that movement collapsed. Uh, But it created a kind of precedent for the future of the Romanian principalities as an independent state. Many Bulgarians, people originating in the Bulgarian regions took part actually in the Greek war of independence, many Albanians also. So all of these nationalities were participating in the revolution of the Greeks, and some of them were beginning to think of their own future liberation and formation of national states. that's why the Greek Revolution was not a war of liberation only for the Greeks, but it signaled movements of liberation for the rest of the Balkans. Tomorrow, the University of Korce, in southern uh, Albania is organizing a meeting, an event, marking the anniversary of the Greek War of Independence. Why? Because the Greek Revolution was significant for them also, as the initiation of self-determination in the Balkans, which eventually carried all of these people to freedom. And of course, at the very end of the 18th century, a Greek uh, visionary who was inspired by the ideas of revolutionary France, velestin Velestinlis was in a revolutionary pamphlet, inviting all of the other ethnic groups, nationalities and religious groups in the Balkans, including Muslims and Turks, to join in a revolt against despotism. This did not have a kind of sense of national confrontation against the Ottomans, but it was against despotism, against arbitrary and despotic rule. And all of these groups were invited to join. Therefore, from that base, the struggle of the Greeks is kind of shared heritage for all other Balkan uh, groups and nationalities. And we see that the national struggle, which began in the 1820s, is still going on, actually, with new nationalities emerging in the Balkan region and also in, uh, in Eastern Europe, following the breakup of Yugoslavia or the Soviet Empire. We have all these new uh, states emerging and claiming their identity, the recovery of their past, the redefinition of their past as a kind of basis to visualizing a future of freedom and the rule of law.
1: Absolutely. Pascalis, thank you very much indeed for coming on on this huge, auspicious anniversary day. What is your book called?
2: The Greek Revolution, a critical dictionary.
1: Go and get it, everybody. Thank you very much, Pascalis.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Dad. I feel we have
0: the history on our shoulders. All the traditions
1: of ours, our school history, our songs. This part of the history of our country, all work gone and finished. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Just before you go, bit of a favour to ask. I totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money. Makes sense. But if you could just do me a favour, it's for free. Go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you give it a five-star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review. Purge yourself. Give it a glowing review. I'd really appreciate that. It's tough world out there. Law of the Jungle out there. And, uh... I need all the fire support I can get, so that will boost it up the charts. It's so tiresome. But if you could do it, I'd be very, very grateful. Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is
3: non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery, soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more.